0: Good morning, my name is David Moore and truth be told I'm always nervous to be up here so I thought today I would wing it. Is Kathy looking at me? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm excited to be here today and I'll tell you why in just a minute. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us in the sanctuary and we want to welcome those who have joined us through our Facebook live streaming. We are glad you're with us for this time of worship. If you're watching on the internet it would be helpful if you would like our live stream or leave a comment so that we know that you are watching. Thank you for wearing your mask, and let us be reminded that this is one of the ways that we can follow Jesus's command to love our neighbor. And now to Reverend Kathy Brown for prayer of preparation.
1: Will you go with me to God in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, we do indeed give you thanks for this very day. God, we give you thanks that you called us to this place at this time, to not only come to worship you, but to be in community with others. So God, we give you our worship service, knowing that we don't have to ask you to be present here, for wherever we are, you are always there, just waiting for us to turn to you. So God, during this time, I ask that you help us to let go of distractions, to turn to you, so that during our time together, We can experience the risen christ and leave our worship today transformed amen we have during this lenten season we have been lighting a candle as we get closer to um, the cross and then to easter morning we have been born into a world that is filled with sin so many things that try to pull us away from god we try to do the right thing But at times we fail, and temptation seems to win. At other times, we seem to drown in our own failures, believing nothing good can come from us. But we forget that God has called us to turn towards God. And we forget that God remembers our sins no more. So we light this candle this morning as a symbol of our trust in Jesus Christ, that indeed our sins are forgiven, and when we turn back to God, God remembers them no more. Will you go to God in prayer with me? Oh, loving God, help us to turn back to you when we stray. Your arms are always open wide, waiting for us. And as we journey toward the cross this Lenten season, help us to turn from where we have gone wrong and to turn toward you. Help us to turn back to your loving arms,
0: amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons, regardless of age, race, income, nationality, life experiences, abilities sexual orientation gender identity or gender expression all are welcome into our family
2: god of abundant grace we admit to you that sometimes we are the prodigal son we lose ourselves to the allure of wealth and power to the attainment of status and admiration to the lavish consumption of food and drink We try to fill ourselves with these things, searching to satisfy our deepest needs in the distant country, and yet we find ourselves completely unfulfilled. We are the prodigal son, O God, each time we search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. We pray that you would help us to come to and return home to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And sometimes, gracious one, we are the elder son, the good one, the obedient one, the dutiful, law-abiding, hard-working, self-sacrificing one. And when we see the prodigal return met with open arms and loving forgiveness, we feel painful bitterness and jealousy take root in our souls. We are somehow lost even though we are at home for we so often misunderstand the nature of grace, thinking that our goodness somehow earns us your good favor, loving one. On these occasions of angry resentment, help us to consciously choose gratitude instead of complaint. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Loving parent, our father and mother, show us not only the way home to you, but the way of compassionate, forgiving welcome. May we, like you, learn not to measure our love for others according to how well they behave, but instead, may we love them simply because they are your beloved. May we remember that you are always waiting for us to return to your loving embrace. No matter how lost we are, we pray that we are always found by you. In your loving, merciful, and most gracious name, we pray as your compassionate Son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the
1: power and the glory forever. Amen. So our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for his final trip there. And you'll notice that we read three verses and then we skip a bit and we come back. That skip a bit is two very familiar parables. The first one is of the shepherd with his sheep, and one gets lost, and he leaves 99 behind, he finds the lost one, and then he says, he gets his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And then the second parable was the woman searching for a coin. She had 10 and she lost one, and she searches everywhere for it, and when she her friends and her neighbors rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost and then the next parable starts with was a man who had two sons I hear myself fading does that help okay <clears throat> so we all know how that parable goes the man who had two sons But just to refresh your memory, I will be reading from Luke 15, 1 through 3, and then 11 through 32. This is a reading from the Gospel, so I invite you to either stand or to rise in your seats. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands." So he went off and he went to his father. But while he was still far away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The father ran and he put his arms around his son and he kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And the slave replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the older son became angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and now he has been found. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you go with me to God in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for indeed you are our rock and our redeemer. And God, at this time especially, I ask that you help me to step back, fill me with your spirit, so that it is your word, not mine, that is heard. Fill me with your spirit, so that it is your word that lands in our heart, so that it is your word that comes back to us throughout the week, that it is your word that causes us to ponder, that it is your word that leads us to transformation. God, we ask that you open our ears and our hearts and give us the courage to respond. Amen. Well, our lectionary scripture this week is because we are in the season of Lent. It is a time of self reflection. And as we heard this scripture, we might see ourselves as one of the two sons. Maybe we see ourselves as the younger one. I don't really need you. I can do this on my own. We can take that which is rightfully ours, dismissing and forgetting the source of it, and try to make a life for ourselves without God. And like the younger son, we often see that doesn't get us where we thought it would. And like the younger son, we are reluctant to go back home, to go to God and say, God, I need your help. Because like the younger son, we carry so much shame and guilt. Or, maybe we see ourselves in this scripture as the older son, the one standing in judgment, proclaiming that because we are the good child, we should get more and have more than others. Because after all, we follow all the rules and we do what is right. We're the ones that should be rewarded. And how dare they? How dare they get a party? just for coming back home. Yes, there is much Lenten fodder in those two, but first I want to take a moment to put this into the cultural context so that we can see how radical and how countercultural the father's reaction was to his younger son. I want us to see why this is such a powerful, radical view of who God is and why It is a view that we as followers of Christ must first embrace, but then loudly proclaim, because friends, we have so many that have been surrounded by the older brother, the older brother of judgment and shame. But we want all to be able to feel God's embrace rather than the brother's or society's rebuke and shame. Yes. It is a radical story, but it is one that is so familiar to us that we may miss some of the reasons that this parable turns the world upside down. We miss its impact because we hear it with our 21st century ears. From our perspective, this is a common story. Kids get full of themselves, they try to make it on their own, and sometimes, Sometimes they fail miserably and come back home. And we are so familiar with that sibling rivalry that screams, It's not fair! He has more than I do! You didn't let me do that! We are used to children standing up to their parents. We are used to children throwing a temper tantrum when they don't get their way. But those hearing this parable in the first century would have been aghast. Because in the first century, it was all about family and honor and shame. It was the public recognition of one's status in the community. You see, honor was the community's recognition and acceptance of your worth and shame was the community's rejection and dismissal of your worth. Seeking honor and avoiding shame is what drove the first century society. Friends, that's why Jesus' hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners was so shocking. It was shameful, and he was choosing to do it. And if we look at the Father in this story, the one that Jesus is using to tell us about the nature of God, we see the father putting relationship above honor and shame. The first encounter we see is the son asking for his inheritance. Now in Jewish culture, the younger son gets one-third and the older son two-thirds upon the father's death. But asking for it now while the father is still alive is like saying, Dad, you can drop dead for all I care. I just want your money. And the father gives it to him. He doesn't try to belittle him. He doesn't try to shame him. He simply gives it to him, which means the father is now shamed by the community. He will have lost honor and he will have lost his place of prominence in the society. How could he have done such a thing? But then, then the son returns. And Jesus tells us that the father sees him in a distance. Now we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but it has been a significant amount of time. And I imagine that every single day that father looked out over the horizon, waiting, hoping, yearning for his son to return. And on this day, On this day he sees him. His heart must have leapt with joy. And his excitement could not have been contained. For we are told that the father runs to greet his son. He runs to meet his son. My friends, to us that seems that's what the father would do. But in that day that was radical. Because a culture of honor and shame a man of dignity over the age of 25 never, never ran to greet someone. It wasn't the way the male head of household would react in Jesus' time, especially not a prestigious landowner. The father breaks all the cultural rules. Culture, context, important. You see, if he ran, He would have had to hold up his robe as not to trip on it. And showing his bare legs was culturally forbidden in public. No, he would walk to greet his son. A slow, dignified walk. The father, running to meet his son, is an expression of love that is so strong that he is willing to cast his dignity to the winds to put aside his power and position for the good of his son. It was a time when love wins, a time when love trumps cultural standards. Can you just picture it? When you are on your way back to God after having turned your back on God, thinking that you can do it all by yourself and you fall flat on your face, you're embarrassed, you're humiliated, and you're ashamed to go back but you know it's the only way you can make it. You're willing to pay the penance. Or maybe, maybe you turned your back on God because you thought you weren't worthy of God's love, that you weren't good enough for God, or shame on the church. Maybe the church told you that God has turned God's back on you. But something makes you think, maybe, maybe there's still a chance with me and God And you head back home. And what happens? God runs to you. God doesn't wait for you to throw your arms around God. No, God throws God's arms around you in gratitude for you being back. And God squeezes you so tightly, whispering in your ear, I'm glad you're home. I've been waiting for you. And when the son begins to grovel, the father pays no attention. He offers him a kiss, a sign of forgiveness. He offers him a robe, a mark of distinction. He offers him a ring, a sign of authority. And he offers him shoes, something that is only worn by free people. And then the father throws him a banquet, rejoicing in his son's return to his father's table and he wants to point out the honored status to his younger son but also to the community because the community the community is poised to reject him but the father is bringing him back into community you see the father has ensured that the son gets a fresh start a new beginning and my friends that's what grace does you see, one of the things that endears me to our, West- our Wesleyan heritage is our understanding of grace. That provenient grace which is always going before us, always calling us and beckoning us into a relationship with God. A relationship that is never forced, but one that is always there for us. Now as you know, no parable can be exactly can exactly describe God because God is so big. But I would say to you that when that younger son was in the pig pen, the father wasn't home watching. The father was in that pig pen with him. All of the time through that journey, God's love was there for him, just calling him home. And then there's that justifying grace, that moment when we, like the younger son, realize that we can't do it on our own and it's time to go back home. Jesus said the younger son realized that when he came to himself, I love that, when he came to himself, that aha moment when we realize that we are ourselves, that whom we were created to be only when we are in relationship with God. Now the scripture doesn't give us the rest of the story. We don't know what happened to the younger brother. But I believe with everything I have that God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion, and God's forgiveness help transform that younger brother. You see, friends, that's what sanctifying grace does. It's grace that meets us right where we are, and it renews us. It renews us to be who God created us to be. It renews us to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind and to love our neighbor. Yes, even to love our sibling, who seems to get a better deal than us. And we don't know if the older brother continued to stand outside the banquet and pout, or if he went in with his father's invitation and joined the celebration. Did he let his pride and his self-righteousness, his misplaced sense of fairness, keep him from fully experiencing the party, from fully experiencing God's abundance, what I know about grace tells me that God did indeed keep working on him. Kept help, helping him to see that the younger brother's return took nothing away from what he already had. That God's grace is so abundant that there is an endless supply for everyone. And I wonder, I wonder if the older brother had that realization that he had been living in the midst of God's abundance all along, and that his brother joining him now didn't take that away from him. So I wonder if God's renewing grace helped the older brother to be as generous as the father. Now we often view this story as the focus being on the younger brother and his father's love for him. But I want to back you up for a minute. Do you remember why Jesus told this parable? Because the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Because Jesus, Jesus, this man of God, was welcoming sinners and eating with them. They were grumbling just like the older son was doing. But did you notice? Just like the father ran to the younger son, the father also left the party left his guest to find the older son, the older son who was still outside. You see, once again, the father left all cultural norms behind. Friends, you do not leave your guest unattended. You do not leave the party that you threw. But the father went to the older son to say, you have been with me all along. Everything I have is yours your little brother didn't change that there is enough for all and the unspoken words the father didn't say were son all this is yours not because you or your brother deserve it but because I love you that is what was so hard for the big brother he worked hard he deserved it it was his reward But Jesus' parable turns that upside down. It's not about deserve, it's about love. It's about God's love. A few weeks ago, Tiger Woods was inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame. And in his acceptance speech, he said, nothing, nothing is ever given to you. You have to earn everything you get. Oh, friends, that's exactly what our world tries to tell us. And it is what we have come to believe. But that's not how it is in God's world. That's why it's so radical. And that's why the Pharisees and the scribes were so upset. God's renewing grace is freely given to us. Freely. Freely without merit. And not because we deserve it. And our task The younger son's task and the older son's task is to learn to accept it and to just let it transform us. To let it pull us closer to God. To let us open the door to feeling God's loving embrace so that we, so that we may share it with others. So that we may use it as fuel to help usher in God's goodness to earth as it is in heaven Now, friends, you don't hear me talk very often about sin because I think that is a word that triggers so many people because it is a word that has been used to deeply wound people by the church. It's a word that's been used to shame people and to manipulate people into a pseudo-relationship with God. But in its purest sense, Sin is simply that which separates us from God. It is not a specified moral behavior that someone else defines for us, but rather those things that keep us from living an abundant and eternal life, here and now, for the younger brother, Sin was his desire to do it on his own without any help from anyone else. And then his sin became thinking that his father would not welcome him home. His sin was thinking that his actions were greater than his father's love for him. And the older brother, his sin that which was keeping him from the party of God's love and joy, was believing that his father's love was something he had to earn, something that would be lavished on him if he simply followed all the rules. And his sin was thinking that others didn't deserve the same grace, the same love, the same abundance that his father had lavished on him. And so friends, I wonder, during this season of Lent, as we spend time thinking about what it is that separates us from God's love. I wonder, I wonder if we can open our hearts to God's transforming and renewing grace, knowing that we didn't do one single thing to deserve it. We didn't have to earn it. It is God's gift to us, and it is a life-changing gift and a world-changing gift It indeed is an amazing gift. Yet sadly, my friends, it is a gift that many people refuse to accept. They refuse to open the gift. And so as we continue our Lenten journey, my prayer for all of us is that we realize God's grace is greater than any barrier we put between ourselves and God, that God's grace continues to be showered on us even when we turn our backs on God. And yes, friends, grace continues to be showered on those that we think shouldn't have it. It is God's grace that transforms the most hardened hearts It is God's grace that keeps calling us home into the arms of the one whose love is so much greater than all of our sin. It is God's grace that is the source of our hope. Friends, God's transforming grace finds us right where we are. But like with the younger son, it doesn't leave us there. It found the younger brother in a pig pen and it led him home. And I believe that it polished the tarnish of pride and self-righteousness off the older brother and led him into the party to celebrate God's goodness for all. May this season of Lent be a time when we open our hearts and our lives to God's renewing grace. It's a way the world changes for the good, one heart at a time. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, mother to us all, amen. Friends, as I lead you out with the benediction, I wanna remind you of the scripture that David read that came from the 32nd Psalm from the message. And the first two verses were this, count yourself lucky, how happy you must be. You get a fresh start, your slate's been wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you, and you are holding nothing back from God. My friends, leave this place knowing that indeed you are God's beloved child, that your slate is wiped clean every moment with grace. Accept that. Take that love and take it into the world to show people that God is love. Go in peace, go in love, and go and be fed, amen.